everybody. This is the U.S. Gray Sports Podcast. And as always, I am very honored to be here with my good friend, Father Richard Heilman. We've got a great guest tonight who wrote a fantastic book about fighting. And of course, we all know we're in the thick of a battle like never before. We need to put it in the right perspective and we need to engage like everything matters because it really does. But we want to start with prayer. So, Father, I turn this over to you. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Before we get started here, I want to say to all those out there who've been watching our podcast for over a year and a half, Thank you. Thank you for those who've subscribed to this channel. Please continue to, to uh, pray for us. We really need those prayers. There's a lot going on in this cancel culture, chilling effect world that we live in. And Father and I have both felt some shots from this as we've expressed now and then. And so we're so thankful again for your prayers and your care and your concern. So please keep it up and continue to tell others, tell your friends, family about the U.S. Grace Force channel. And let's continue to grow the ranks because we are in the thick of a battle, as we'll talk about tonight. Also want to encourage you all to go out to the U.S. Grace Force official gear page and check out the fantastic, amazing, incredible, super awesome designs that we have for the U.S. Grace Force. Our t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, long sleeve, short sleeve, women's styles, men's styles, you name it. One of my favorites is I Kneel for God Alone. We have the version with the knight, and we also have the version with just the writing across the front. Either way, these and many other designs will help spread that message to others on the day-to-day -day basis that we all live in, that we are in this fight for the long haul, and we will give our hearts to God like never before. So please check out U.S. Grace Force gear page and know that everything you purchase off of there does help support the U.S. Grace Force. Father, I know tonight's guest is a friend of yours. He's a Christian of yours. I'm going to let you introduce and give the rundown on him, but I love that sign he's got in the back, pray to end abortion, 40 days for life. And we know that he's got some affiliation with that amazing outfit and organization. So, Father, I turn this over to you. Yeah, so Steve, you and I go way back. I mean, we've been in this fight for a long time together. And, uh, but you, you uh, made it your life calling to be about this fight against abortion. And uh, you know, I've known you and your wife, Laura, and all your kids for all these years. And we've gone through a lot. You know, the, the rosary garden that we have in the back of our church uh, was due to, uh, one of your, um, uh, uh, one of your, uh, miscarriages. And that's, the, that was the, that was the inspiration. Steve, what, what was the name of that child again? Do you remember? Gianna. Gianna. So, so anybody, you know, go to everybody, go to rosarygarden.org and you'll see just this paradise, but it was inspired by Steve and Laura's, uh, baby that they lost Gianna due to miscarriage. And, and so what we did was build a whole rosary garden. It, it's a garden in the shape of a rosary and it just has tons of flowers. You'll see it when you go there. But, um, but so just things like that. And we've, we've uh, been in various battles together and I know uh, you've been in uh, far more battles than I have been. Um, and you're the, you're um, one of the directors for um, 40 days for life. And I know you just got back from, a trip, a uh, speaking engagement that you had, and you do go all over the country and do that. 
but you just wrote an amazing book and it really um, highlights what, what this battle is like that we're in um, all, all the pro-life warriors and you, you write it from, from your own perspective and, and what you've gone through all these years. And it's just a, it's a compelling book. Uh, I got it right here. It's called, um, uh, this is when we begin to fight. This is when we begin to fight. And that's actually going to be the title of our podcast tonight, because that's a, you know, it, it is time for us to fight. It has been for many years, but I think the whole pro-life movement has uh, erupted in the last couple of decades uh, to where it is now. And there's a lot of signs of hope, hope out there. I think, I think the minds and hearts of the nation are beginning to change in this whole battle uh, for, uh, against the culture of death, for the culture of life. Uh, so, Steve, um, maybe a little bit more details about, you know, what you do and, and uh, what your mission is all about. Sure. Yeah, I serve as the campaign director for 40 Days for Life. And for those who aren't familiar with what 40 Days for Life is, it's an internationally coordinated campaign, lasts 40 days at a time of, of the basics, really. Prayer and fasting, which should be the foundation of all that we do as people of faith. Uh, community outreach to educate the public on the tragic reality of the abortion crisis, of which so many uh, just don't know about. And then uh, probably the hallmark of what we're best known for is all day, every day, peaceful vigil in front of abortion facilities to end right. abortion. We've seen tons of lives saved, workers converted, abortion facilities closed. And so I'm blessed to work with our campaign leaders in the U.S. and in Canada. And I also do a lot of our content. We've got a magazine. We've got... Um, We've got a, a podcast of our own, and uh, we, we book now too. So, just trying to get more and more folks out to the street to pray. And, and you know, we can't count on Washington these days. We can't count on our uh, here in Wisconsin. At least we can't count on our state government, but we can always count on God. So, we take it to Him and let Him do the, the, the great work. Right now, Steve, I know the Forty Days for Life has been around for quite a while, um, and this is something that's been, you know, really a staple for a lot of evangelization effort. And I know a lot of it is centered around the idea of we're, we're focusing on, like as you mentioned, the peaceful protest part of it. It's a peaceful, prayerful, but it's consistent. We've got people out there. I know 40 Days for Life events where they're out there really 24-7 around the clock for 40 days. And I know there's some pretty harsh conditions weather-wise in parts of the country and elsewhere where, where people are really, really standing out there in some, some pretty serious cold conditions, for example. Um, where have you seen this take place under what extreme conditions? Like what, what kinds of temperatures have people really braved to be able to, to stand out there in the thick of this fight? Yeah, we've seen everything. We've got this photo. It's a very iconic one of a guy in Anchorage, Alaska, and he's all bundled up to the nine. He's in a blizzard. He can barely stand up straight in the wind, but he's out there praying for an end to abortion. And as, um, as a Wisconsinite, you know, I'm used to kind of people praying out in the cold. That's what we've done. But it was really when I went to Phoenix one time and, you know, I never had I never thought anyone would have to worry about being too hot out at the vigil site. But it was over 100 degrees out there in baking sun. Uh, but what we've really found is that bad weather can lead to more saved lives because nobody can dismiss you as a political hack or a front for some kind of phony war on women when you're out there in, you know, 110 degree weather or 20 degree below zero weather. Only the love of Christ compels people to come out. I can think of one time we had a vigil. And Father Rick was leading prayer at it. And uh, we, this is a big event. We needed a lot of people out there. And it started to sprinkle. And I, I was praying, Lord, please don't let it rain. We need this to be a success. And um, 
And then the sky opened up into a downpour. And I thought, oh my gosh, as soon as the opening prayer is over, everybody's going to go home. And I still remember, just like it was yesterday, Father Rick saying, and we thank you, Lord, for this rain, because it gives us an even greater opportunity to sacrifice for you. And it's one of the most successful things that we've seen in, in Madison, Wisconsin. And I think that really just shows uh, the way the Lord works. And, and his designs were a lot better than mine for that day. Way to go, Father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of stories, and you tell some of them in here, too. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to point out was, um, do you remember, Steve, when the strip club was in Pine Bluff and that we decided to do the Stations of the Cross here. And, uh, and then somebody said when, um, uh, when they were thinking about doing late-term abortions that we should bring that there. And that was one of the ways that we prayed. And you talk about these things in your book. And, uh, we, and they came out later and uh, it was, I don't know, 10 days or two weeks later and said, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. You know, we're not going to do those kind of, but those are the kind of stories you get. You get maybe one of those, do you want to talk about Steve or? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the, the strip club, that was actually right before I moved to town, but it was legendary by that point already. And so we had um, the university of Wisconsin here was trying to open up a late term abortion facility. And we decided, even though we usually only did the fall 40 days for life campaign, we said, well, we'll take on the spring one, which is a misnomer. You can tell 40 Days for Life started in Texas. Something in February and March is not, not spring up here. Yeah. But we decided we would take it on and, and ask the Lord to end those plans for the UW to do a late-term abortion facility. And it really all culminated on day 40 on Palm Sunday, where you brought out the Stations of the Cross. And it was actually the day the Obamacare legislation was passed. I don't know if you remember that, but it was the same day that, that the that right. And so we're on we're on our heels here, right? We're getting we're getting routed. It's not unlike today, but uh, we said, you know what? We're not going to worry about Obama. We're not going to worry about the UW. They've got all the power in the world. That's just the way the Lord wants it. He's going to get the glory when this thing closes. And sure enough, you're right. Just a couple of weeks later, it was uh, the UW. It took them about six, seven more months before they acknowledged it. But we found out through the Attorney General's office of the state that the UW had pulled out of that plan, and they tried to blame the pro-lifers. Right? They said, you know, we couldn't guarantee patient safety but um you know in a way i'm glad they did because it, it gave insurrectionists <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so and i and i know steve when it comes to you know people who are willing to get out there and, and brave the elements uh i mean as you mentioned there, there's something that's very deep inside someone's heart i mean obviously it's something that god has put on somebody to to do this and you know the 40 day for life movement has been the sort of thing where we've, we've got so many people over the years who have stepped up from all different walks of life, ages, different categories, different uh, uh, backgrounds. I mean, what, what kind of audience, uh, not audience, I guess, participants, warriors, age-wise, what, what are we looking at? Are we looking at grade school kids, high school kids, all the way to the elderly? Who takes part in this? Yeah, I once had a, one of my children at five days old was out at the vigil, but uh, we've, we've seen children out. We just had a group of high school students out that saved a baby here in Madison last week. Uh, I was one time in uh, Canton, Ohio, out on the sidewalk praying with a 102-year-old lady. So I think if we've got a, a week-old baby and a 102-old lady out there, uh, anyone in between can get involved and, and go out there and pray. It's the one thing you don't need to be an expert lobbyist at the political level. You don't need to have a PhD in psychology or counseling. To, to reach out to these women all you need to do go to do is go there and stand and pray and anybody can do that you know i, I i've been hearing reports and uh, i can't remember who it was exactly but I, i'll bet you've heard this too that um inside 
the abortion mills, uh, they report that when we get out there and we pray, that all of a sudden there's like chaos that ensues inside the abortion mills. You've heard that, haven't you, Steve? Absolutely. Plumbing backs up, sewage problems, electric right. goes outside. You know Dan Miller over in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They had a yep. day where, I think it was Good Friday, they were out praying, and the electric uh, electricity went out in the entire street except for the pregnancy help center. And so you've got women rushing out of the abortion facility right into the pregnancy help center. Wow. These things sound kind of fantastic, but uh, um, as all of your listeners know and believe in miracles, these things are real and they happen much more than we would expect. Yeah. Now, and you've got a book, I know, which is the title of the show here. This is when we begin to fight. I love it. Love the title. Yeah, um, Steve, where can we get that? I want to do that early in the show here. You, do, do you recommend where to pick that up? Yeah, there's two places you can get it. You can get it from 40daysforlifegear.com, 40daysforlifegear.com. It's also on Amazon, but Jeff Bezos doesn't need your money. Go to 40 Days for Life. It supports the mission, gets people out I of the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the essence of the book, it, you know, what, what specifically drove you to write it? It's a great title, um, but what drove you? What is the the really the overriding message that you want to get out of? The, what you want people to get out of this book? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the university trying to open up the late term abortion facility, and we had had thousands of people out in the streets praying and marching, tens of thousands of petitions delivered. Uh, just this massive uprising, and still the UW Health Authority Board voted 11 to 3 to proceed with these abortions. And driving home from that public meeting that night, I was just kind of despondent. I was feeling sorry for myself. We had worked so hard, and still they were going to proceed with these abortions. And there was an old uh, army chaplain who had been involved in pro-life stuff before I was even born. He couldn't make the meeting that night, but he called me up. He said, Steve, how'd it go? And I just mumbled something about, well, you know, we lost. And he just, the old man, his rebuke just kind of kind of shook me. He said, of course you lost. You haven't been at this pro-life work very long, have you? This is when we begin to fight. And so that was kind of that William Wallace moment where we sure. I quit whining and feeling sorry for myself. And we just decided we're going to go out there and pray until this thing is, is canceled once and for all. And uh, it took a year and a half, but we stopped it. And uh, it was a great victory. And, you know, life goes back to normal. We continue to ramp up our pro-life efforts. But I was at a a strategy meeting with pro-life leaders from across the country. And uh, I'm a nobody at this meeting, but I'm sitting next to this nationally prominent pro-life attorney. And I kind of introduced myself and how I got involved and he stopped me and he said, Steve, I know all about that story. And he said, when the history books are written, when abortion comes to an end, those history books will point back to Madison, Wisconsin as the turning point. And I thought, gosh, this guy's not from Wisconsin. He wasn't, you know, this is, a, that's a pretty bold claim. And whether it's true or not, it made me realize that this story and this victory were both big enough that we needed to kind of preserve it and share it and hopefully use what happened here in Madison, one of the most secularly liberal progressive cities, abortion friendly cities in the country and use it as perhaps a model that other cities can take on because if God can do it here, he can do it anywhere. Yeah, we keep going out to Planned Parenthood knowing that in this liberal city, they need their mascot, you know, that they'll be lost without their baby killing, you know, um, mill that they have out there. Uh, so we, we prayed, you remember earlier, I said that um, what, one of the very powerful tools that we, that we use 40 days for life. So we'll be using this again uh, on good Friday when we're all out there. And what am I talking about? The station of the cross. So we did this in, in Pine Bluff. And then we did it um, just before they, they decided to 
to stop um, late-term abortions at UW clinics. But then we did it out in front of Planned Parenthood after seeing all that. And the, what, what happened, the, the abortion clinic didn't close. But you know what? Across the street, the Women's Care Center opened. It was right after we did those stations that a group of people got together and said, we need to do this. And the property opened up directly across the street and they got busy. These were amazing people. I know you were part of all that, Steve. And um, what you want to talk, I'm going to be talking about Women's Care Center um, this coming weekend. We're going to have uh, at the close of um, 40 Days for Life. That's, that's my charge. You're, you're actually, your wife put me in charge of that. So, <laughs> but, but anyways, uh, uh, so you, you want to talk about that women's care center that opened up? Yeah. So we had the, the whole victory against the UW. This is back in 2010. So we're talking 10, yeah. 11 years ago now. And, um, it was a, a massive victory and we just kind of looked around and we're like, well, what do we do now? We can't go back to the way things used to be. We got to continue to move forward on this. And so we launched a year-round prayer vigil, but some other folks, uh, some wonderful couples looked and they saw the building across the street from Planned Parenthood up for sale and they bought it. And after some prayerful discernment, they opened up this women's care center designed to provide women in crisis with real options, real health care, real choice. And it's, it's been something I think has really shaken the states. Uh, we were looking at uh, 10, 12 years ago, uh, eight to 9,000 abortions in the States uh, every single year. Now we're down to five or 6,000, which is way too many, but it's still a, a massive drop. And what we've, seen, uh, what we've seen play out on the sidewalk is the year-round prayer presence combined with a place right across the street where you can walk these women in crisis. We're seeing lives saved on a regular basis. We've got three during the course of this 40 Days for Life campaign, which started on Ash Wednesday that we know of, probably many more. And um, there's just no better combo. You've got people on faith on, on the front end. You've got them on the back end, uh, trusting in the Lord. And again, this is why, you know, it, these are frustrating times. And, and you've talked about that. and We hear all about it. But um, I think it's also as a reminder to us that right now, when, when nothing is going right at the national or international or even at any level of government level, um, you know, no one's more dangerous than someone with nothing to lose. And the pro-life movement is fighting right now like we've got nothing to lose. And you know, whether we change the laws or not, however long that takes, I don't know. But you can overturn Roe v. Wade one woman at a time every time that women's care center is showing right. her mom her sound and helping her make that decision to, to keep her baby and to love her baby. Yeah, they've, actually, they've got actual women's health care at the women's uh, care center. Whereas, you know, most Planned Parenthoods claim to have it and ultrasounds and all this stuff, and, and they don't. And, and uh, they're, they're basically there to kill babies. And, and right across the street, they get all the the healthcare they want for that child and for that mother. And uh, it's so the heart of it too, because Planned Parenthood, you hear them talk about, if we get defunded, we won't be able to provide our services. They're triple dipping. They are charging for their services. They're getting government subsidies of their services and they're raking in donations for their services. Uh, Women's Care Center and other pregnancy help centers, they're not getting a dime of federal funding or state level funding. They're doing it all on donations. They're not charging for their services. They're not looking around whining and saying, oh, if we don't get our stimulus, we're not going to help women. They're standing in the gap and they're making it happen. And I, I think that's a, a it shows who they, these people are and what they're about. Planned Parenthood, you take a dime away and they start closing facilities. Uh, Women's Care Center, um, you know, people step up and there were people here in this Catholic community who were out there with the shovel and the hammer themselves in addition to donating their, their funds. Yep. Steve, um, what, I mean, what message do you have for people out there who have been fighting the pro-life battle for a long, long, long time? You know, you feel like you're making some progress here and there. And of course, it's every soul, it's every life. That's what counts. 
And I like what you said, you know, we can overturn Roe v. Wade one mother at a time. And really, it's not about just changing laws, because as we know, as the saying goes, you know, um, hearts must change ultimately before laws can really stand their, 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 their ground and really have impact on society. But for the people that are tired, the people that, you know, sit on the edge of the bed, you know, literally or figuratively at the end of the day, bury their face in their hands and just wonder, Lord, when, where, how, this is really hard. I'm getting burned out, tired, worn out. You know, what advice, what encouragement do you give to those fighters to not quit? I think that the pro-life movement is really different than any other form of apostolate because you can go out and I don't mean to denigrate any other form of apostolate. They're all valuable and worthy, but you can go serve at a soup kitchen and you go home with sort of that inner satisfaction of knowing that you perhaps gave someone their first warm meal in weeks that they wouldn't have had. You've got that. There's just a good feeling that comes from it. And that's wonderful. You might not get that. You probably won't get that when you go pray in front of an abortion facility. We've got thousands of babies saved, hundreds of workers who have left, uh, 110 abortion facilities that have closed during or after a 40 Days for Life campaign. And all of those things are wonderful. But any given hour that you go out there, it's probably boring. It's probably not terribly interesting. And that's where we recall our Lord's words, blessed are those who have not seen, but who have believed. And sometimes the Lord shows us those results right away. Sometimes he's content to let us wait uh, weeks or months or years, or maybe not until we make the heaven, will we know how those prayers were answered? But I think that's what makes them more effective is there's a, a, a blind trust. It requires a true trust in God to know that there's no prayer that's ever in vain. And you know, we wait long enough and we do see the results of so the last three abortion facilities that have closed following a 40 Days for Life campaign. They are uh, Chicago, Illinois, London, England, and then just last week, uh, Seattle, Washington. These oh, are not biggies. You know, places where people would think there would be no hope. But, you know, you just say, forget about the odds being stacked against us. Again, this is where the... the um, we've got nothing to lose and let's pray like it. And the Lord is going to do things that we don't expect. And we've seen it. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, I've been hearing more and more reports, Steve, about uh, the importance of clergy out in front of Planned Parenthood. I know Bishop Hying in, in his years of priesthood, he's been known to spend like a million hours out in front of Planned Parenthood. I mean, he's there a lot. And uh, I try to get there as much as I can. I need to get there more. But, um, but the impact of that, because reports are coming in, we hear from people who have decided they drive close to the abortion clinic, they see the, the Roman collar or even this cassock, and uh, and in that moment, they have second thoughts, and, and instead of pulling in, they they drive on. Is is that something that you've experienced too? Yeah, I've talked to local pro-life leaders who have said every single time there's a Roman collar out on the street, they save a baby. Wow. And you know, of course, results may vary, but I think that anecdote tells us something. It does a couple of things too. There's as secular as um, as secular as this era has become. There's still people deep in their hearts, they recognize that the priesthood is a good thing. Maybe they were not even raised Catholic or Christian. They don't know. There's just some, something about the grace of the vocation, I think, and the, 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 um, the ordained clergy being present. It, it makes such a difference to them. And it also uh, is an encouragement to the laity. It, it gives them great hope and great confidence. You know, sometimes uh, even pro-lifers will internalize the narrative that pro-lifers are aggressive and confrontational and judgmental. It's not true, but sometimes we internalize that because we hear it so much from the media. And when you see the shepherds out there, it, got, it lends credibility to it. Okay, this, 
this must be all right. Father Rick's out there. I, I want to, uh, Doug, I'll let you get in real quick, but I want to just follow up on this because there's something that I've experienced over the last few years. I'm not a big cassock wearer, and I'm trying to be more of that, and here's why. Um, every time I wear a cassock, I go into the local quick trip or the grocery store or wherever, somebody comes up to me and they want to talk about faith. <laughs> it's just, it's unbelievable. But if I have just the Roman collar on, not so much. It, it's, it's, and so I, I want to encourage us clergy, you know, to pray out in front of Planned Parenthood, but maybe consider doing it in a cassock. There's something, I think even supernatural about that, that, uh, that, that really has an impact on people. But uh, the cassock effect is just amazing. I, I mean, I, I, I experiment with it now. And it's, it's like every time, you know, where I'll get someone who, who wants to talk to me. And usually it's a person that's been thinking about coming back. And, you know, what, what do you think, Father? And, and here's my story. And, and whereas if I'm wearing the Roman collar, you know, with a coat or something, not so much, you know, hey, Father, how's it going? You know, but uh, not that kind of impact. So anyway, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just my personal experience. But, but the power of seeing clergy out in front of Planned Parenthood, I don't doubt that. And we're seeing, like you said, tons of reports uh, about people changing their mind when they, when they see that visible sign of, of, of God's presence out there with that Roman collar, right? Absolutely. It's, it's on a regular basis. And I think the cassock, there's, a, there's an element of mystery to it. And right. mystery prompts that the, the, are yearning for the supernatural. And it right. makes us about things that are eternal rather than, gosh, my mom's going to be upset if she finds out I'm pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, it to Catholicism, I, too. I don't know. That, that could be a thing, too. The power of Catholicism. Because yeah. it, it is um, the, more, the most supernatural of, of the Christian denominations. People love to make fun of Catholics until they need an exorcist. Is that exactly, what they yeah. Exactly. Well, and as Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, if you want to find the one true faith, look at the one that's persecuted the most. And yeah, that's go. clearly the Catholic faith, you know, that's yeah, what we've been through. Threat. Yeah, it's the biggest threat to the enemy. So I can see just on a supernatural level with the priest out there, you know, seeing that priest out there, there is there is a reaction spiritually as well to, to what's going on there. And, and I would think every time that the, the priest is there, you know, Father, you're, you're bringing extra angels with you, so to speak. I mean, you, you've got, you're a consecrated soul. And that carries some weight. That's like, you know, Navy SEALs being dropped in as opposed to, you know, the National Guard. National Guard's got their place. <laughs> the SEALs or the Green Berets show up or Delta Force comes in and uh, all bets are off. Things are going to get rattled for sure. So I could see there being that supernatural aspect to it as well. Um, you know, now Steve, we're talking about, you know, in general, the problem with abortion, that really at its root is it's, it's, it's an abuse against the dignity of God's design, the human person, creation, and so forth. And we know that the pro-life movement is more than just about the unborn, though 40 Days for Life predominantly focuses on, on that. But comment, if you could, please. I know this is something that it's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but right now as we record this, there's this explosion, this problem, this breakdown at the southern border in particular um, in our country. And now we're seeing above 700% above, I should say 700% above capacity. We've got children that are in these, in these migrant camps now. Um, there's no transparency. Uh, the current administration, uh, the man that claims to be president, his administration is not allowing anybody in to actually film this or see this, see what's going on, ask questions. Uh, 
you know, ICE and Border Patrol have been told not to talk to journalists about what's going on down there. What's your take, your comment regarding this? Because, I mean, just talking politically here, not to disparage any one party over another, but we know that the Democrat Party, as a fact, holds abortion as a pillar of their party. This is nothing that's, this is just a statement of fact. We know this, they've made that very clear. And we see now what's happening at the border now that they're in control of the White House and so forth. What comments do you have regarding what's happening at the border, the dignity issue? Um, you know, I mean, the pre President Trump was blasted left and right, no matter what he did. Um, but this is this egregious problem now. This is this is beyond comprehension. What do you say about this? I think in, in so many cases we've seen all sorts of different issues used to distract from the abortion issue. And this obviously became a, a major issue during the Trump administration. And it was in the news everywhere. It's not in the news anymore, but it, it was in the news back then. And I think at the time I stopped to ask, okay, is, it, is there a legitimate concern here? Because it seems to me that what, what's going on at the border oftentimes takes place. Uh, you know, there's, there's always people trying to cross the border. It happens during administrations of both parties. And uh, how come it's when we start... Uh, making progress on ending abortion that suddenly it's like, okay, well, that's an, that's a human rights issue, a human dignity issue. The climate is a human dignity issue. Um, you know, everything becomes a human dignity issue. And then when, when they think they're safe from, you know, the encroachment upon the abortion empire, then suddenly it goes back into the margins again. So I don't, I, I would have to admit, I'm not extraordinarily knowledgeable about the particular topic other than I, I've seen it at times used, I think, as a distraction from, you know, those who are uh, cage or no cage, nobody's being killed at the border. And um, and that is the case in any abortion facility. Yeah. 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 And that's a really good point. I mean, what's going on at the border is, is I mean, definitely there, there's something wrong here. There's no question about it. But every single abortion mill around the country, around the world, you know, that is actually happening. And that is a, that, that, that's murder right there. Can't be beef with the sort of the seamless garment argument is, you know, I would never I would never try to dismiss the crisis of homelessness or the crisis of refugees or any of those things. But it's categorically categorically different because nobody is suggesting that we kill the homeless or that we kill the refugees right. or that we kill immigrants. And then, of course, it's greater in scale too, a, a million a year lost to abortion. So I think categorically and in scope and scale, um, you know, abortion has to be the, the primary issue. That's the, the the number one human rights issue, number one human life issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, as I'm listening to you guys discuss that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is all about the culture of death, you know, and this whole idea that, you know, we're called as uh, children of God to elevate ourselves, to live with the highest morals and values and, you know, uh, character, principles, uh, to be the best version of ourselves we can possibly be. We're called to those kinds of heights as children of God. Why? Because we believe in God and we know that that pleases God because we're striving to be um, what he intended us to be. Okay. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, but the, the culture of death, it seems uh, when, once they're disconnected from all that, then you live like animals. Okay. Then you can just dispose of babies. And then you know, I, to me, the what's going on at the border, there's all kinds of things like sex trafficking and drugs and all kinds of, but to put these children at risk, you know, like they're doing too, by the kind of um, laws that they have in order that, 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 that 
uh, I, I saw one, I saw one image where uh, a mother, uh, um, somebody was interviewed and they said, two of these children, the mother said, okay, I'm going to go get you some candy and never came back. She just basically dropped the kids off at the border. Um, and to so have laws that, that, um, that, you know, it, compel people to want to, to take that kind of risk with life with lives that to me is is the crime of what's going on there and so one side is seems fine with that but the other side wants to keep them safe you know let's do this right uh let's let's make sure we don't put the the children at risk you know so again there's this sense of a, a culture of life that that lives as 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 uh, as God would want us to live, in a culture of death. That to me, they live like animals. Thing too, I think about the narrative about what this country is and who we are, because we've spent the whole year hearing about that the, the the systemic racism and you know America is fundamentally and fatally flawed. And uh, you know, I have compassion for the people who are trying to come over. That's that's a bold thing to you know, believe so much in the ideals of the United States that you're going to, you're going to bring your kid and, and leave them there and hope that you can give them a better life. And I think there's some, somewhat of a, a dissonance there. We've got to realize, um, you know, if people are going to these desperate measures to get here, this country can't be as awful as we've been told it is for the last year. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's a, that's a key point. I know others have, have, have brought up in different ways that, this, the, the, what we have, the blessing that we have, you know, I think back to what St. Mother Teresa had said when she said, America, you are the richest country resource-wise, but the poorest country spiritually. I mean, we have been blessed with so much in this country on so many levels. And if the individual person doesn't take ownership of this, uh, of where we are at this time in our, in our world and our life and here in America, those who are watching this podcast or listening here in America, we have an enormous responsibility. Number one, just to own what's going on on our watch. This is our watch right now. We've got to take that seriously. But also we've got to remember that um, there are generations to come, God willing, that are resting. We'll, we'll be standing, I should say, on our shoulders, what we choose to do here. You know, like you talk, you know, for example, you know, Steve, about how many babies have been saved, how many clinics have been shut down. Uh, we've, we've got to not let those clinics be reopened you know, when the next generation comes around. So this is something we've got to continue to build up warriors for these types of battles for the long haul, for the long term. There are generations to come, again, God willing, that are counting on what we're doing. They don't even know they're counting on us. You know, I, I think about my grandkids who are, you know, very young right now. And it's so important, I think, as their grandfather. They have no idea what I do because they're too young to gasp, you know, gather or grasp what, what grandpa does, you know, or... You know, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm grumpa, depending on the look on my face at times. It's, it's a great shirt out there. It's a grumpy grandfather, G-R-U-M-P-A, grumpa, as opposed to grandpa. So I want that shirt because I fit that look sometimes. But I'm, what I'm saying is they can't gather what grandpa does for a living. But I know what's at stake, to a degree at least, for them as they continue to grow up in this world. So, I mean, along those lines, generations to come, Steve, I mean, you're a relatively young guy, you know, you've got a young family, you're, you've got to be thinking long term. I think of, of uh, you know, uh, great pro-life leaders who, who are maybe no longer with us, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've put in their time, they've hung up their boots, you know, God has called them home. And, 
You know, it's that call of that little old lady who was out there for days and days, weeks and weeks with the rosary in her hand, standing in front of an abortion mill back in the, you know, right after Roe v. Wade, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s and so forth. But here you are now. What inspired you? I got a couple questions. One, what inspired you to really get into this? I mean, was it seeing people like that? And number two, what do you think about your role now for the generations to come, God willing? Yeah, I've been pro-life my entire life, but for much of my life, I never did anything about it. And I keep trying to figure out, was that because I was lazy? Was it I didn't know what I could do to make a difference? But, you know, I've got such great respect for the many, many people who have been at this for so long just because their heart convicted them. For me, it was a personal encounter. My wife had a friend who had an abortion, and that's what made it real for me. My wife actually was able to talk her out of that abortion uh, by offering a lot of support on a personal level. But uh, in the end, her doctor talked her right back into it. And so that was sort of a moment where I saw that young woman uh, heartbroken, devastated, would never be the same. And in my own way, I was heartbroken and devastated. In my own way, I'd never be the same because it's that moment where I recognize it wasn't enough for me to just be pro-life or even just try to vote pro-life. I had to get off the couch and from time to time turn the football game off and do something about it. And so that's what got me involved. In terms of looking at it long-term, you know, I think, I think there's a number of different things. We look forward to and we hope for that great day when, when America lives up to its ideals and ends abortion and it's no longer here. At the same time, you know, we've got sort of this narrative in our culture. It's in the water, it's in the air of this progressive ideal that, um, you know, history is a study march toward utopia. And we know that's not the fact. Abortion will end and there will perhaps be some other injustice or maybe abortion will come back at some point. And so uh, we want to end abortion and we want to end it as soon as possible. Uh, but we know that it's not a matter of just simply putting in our time. It's a matter of everything is up for grabs. You know, history is, there's no preset determination of history other than that in the end, God wins. But between now and the second coming, I think everything is up for grabs. So I want to, I want to preserve our freedom, you know, our rights when it comes to going out and standing and praying in front of an abortion facility. It truly is use it or lose it. Uh, we've had 40 Days for Life campaigns in recent years in Moscow, in Cuba, in Venezuela, in Hong Kong. Uh, and we've struggled to gain traction in places like France or in Montreal because, um, because the laws are not favorable to pro-life witness. If you go back 30, 35 years and say it'd be legal to do 40 Days for Life in Moscow and in Havana, but not in not in, uh, in Paris or Montreal, I think people think you're crazy. So it's a real matter of we've got to preserve these freedoms, use them or lose them, save as many lives as we can, and then try to change our culture and, and know that ultimately it's in God's hands. There's a compelling scene in the movie Unplanned. If you, if you, if you haven't seen Unplanned, you've got to see it. It's a game changer. Uh, so it's the story of a Abby Johnson's uh, conversion. But the scene that I refer to that uh, is just, it, it, it shakes me every time I even think about it. There was a scene where they were outside of Planned Parenthood praying, praying the rosary, and uh, they looked at a disposal truck pull up. And all of a sudden, these drums came out of Planned Parenthood, and everybody knew what was in those drums. I mean, so right there, that shakes you. And then... They asked the driver of this disposal truck, could you bring that drum over to them? And in that moment, they reached out their hands and they prayed over this drum filled with uh, babies who were aborted. And that's when the scene flashes to Abby Johnson 
looking at uh, the, the ultrasound or, or well, during an abortion and seeing a baby inside that womb and she was shaken and she was horrified and she ran out of that place at that time. And that in that moment, she was shaken. But I say all that just because I know you bring that out wonderfully in your book that with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. The power of prayer, the power of prayer. And I think that's what that movie was bringing out is that prayer does matter. It does. And, and we've got to rely on prayer. Um, I've been trying to start a few movements like one. I actually have the domain name called Kneel for Life. And it just simply means that what if while people were out, out on the sidewalk, there was a battle buddy, a prayer partner before the Blessed Sacrament at the same time? You know, so these these kinds of things, I think, are going to change. Um, we just had we just were we, we were out on the streets of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, on the Feast of St. Joseph. And just a beautiful group of people. We processed the, our Lord in the Eucharist up to the state capitol. Well, we just found out today that there was a bystander. He was up there to take a photograph of a very unique event where the, only on one day of the year does the sun come through the state capitol and they have a name for that or whatever. He was up there to photograph it. And he was shaken by the faith of that group of people that were processing through those war-torn streets that were all boarded up with graffiti and everything and processing our Lord and the young boys and cassocks, the little girls with their dresses and throwing flower petals and, and our Lord being uh, elevated uh, by that priest with his, with his holy vestments, uh, all of it. And he took some amazing pictures. He was a photographer. He took some amazing pictures, but his commentary was incredible. And what he was commenting on is that f basically faith is not lost. We might think it is, but it's not. And so that's all my way of saying is that with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. We are going to change this culture of death into a culture of life, but we can only do that with God. So what do we need to do? We need to have a Christian revival in this land. And, and we, need to, we need to pray as we've never prayed before. Um, I always know that when I go over to Planned Parenthood, the, the, um, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the distraction can be uh, that you, you want to pal up with your battle buddy on the sidewalk and then just start talking about, you know, if the Packers won last week or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I try to separate myself out and I go over to the entrance of the clinic and I actually bring uh, Epiphany Holy Water and Blessed Salt and I, and I, and I sprinkle it across the entryway. And, and my, my prayer in that moment is that when that car drives over that, that, it, that in that instance, they go, nope, I can't do this. Nope, I can't do this. But you see, and, and again, you bring that out so beautifully, Steve, in your book too, is that we can't do this without prayer. You want to talk a little bit about the importance of prayer for the whole pro-life movement? Yeah, you know, when I think I, I first got involved, I kind of had this worldly mentality toward it where, you know, we would, we would develop the superior talking points and we would use those to win elections and then we would Which use that. important too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'd, no doubt about it. Um, but we would, I kind of thought we would kind of win through our might. We would develop the, the superior position and then we would use that superior position to win per se. And uh, 
that idea sort of melts away a little bit when you're out in front of an abortion facility because you realize you're out there and there's a mother walking in, she's pregnant, and you know in three or four hours she's going to walk out, maybe limp out, probably sobbing, no longer pregnant, but instead the mother of a dead baby. And in that moment when you're out on the sidewalk, you got, you just want to do everything you can. You want to run in, you, you want to you hold her and you want to drag her away and you want to block the door and you want to do every, you lock the door, everything that you can do, you want to do it and you recognize you don't have the power. And that, that really upset me and frustrated me at first to know how helpless I was. And I think over time through prayer, I recognize that's just the way God wants it. And, you know, he talks about in scripture that he doesn't want us to, to rend our garments, but to rend our hearts. And he doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants a sacrifice of a contrite heart. And going to an abortion facility, I think, makes that happen. And we can offer those broken hearts that we have every time we stand out there and see things that we wish we would never have to see. We can offer them as a, a prayer. And I think it's a very, uh, very effective prayer because it's such a sincere prayer. I, I pray the rosary and I love the rosary, but, you know, my glorious mysteries are sometimes, you know, what's for dinner tonight is what I'm contemplating, even though I'm not supposed to be. And my sorrowful mysteries, why can't the Packers keep running the ball and uh, all those sorts of things. But, um, you know, when you're out there in the, on the field of battle and you've got that broken heart, there's, there's no room left for the distraction of the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, you both bring up great points in that, what you both just said. And, and I, I just think, you know, Father Heilman, this is something that you have said many, many times in the past is that we have got to be focusing on the power of the almighty to be built up in the supernatural power of God. And this is something where, you know, and again, we've talked about this many times on Grace Force, and this has been something you have really, you've preached on, you've talked about extensively, is that when we lose confidence, faith, trust, or any eyesight, spiritual eyesight at all, in the supernatural, we, when we forget this, we can fall into relativism, which it was, is, a, is, a, is one of the pieces that you... Uh, Father uh, Peckman and Father Altman wrote about in uh, Let Freedom Ring is the problem with relativism, freedom from relativism, you know, freedom from, from you know, this idea that we can decide what's true and what isn't. And if we lose touch with the supernatural, we can fall very easily into that. We can also fall very easily into, really, as you both just said, in, in different ways, we can fall into this, this lack of belief that we can accomplish these things. You know, Father, for you to say that I, you sprinkle blessed salt so that when the car drives over or someone walks over it, they'll have a change of mind. You know, the, the average secularist would listen to that and think, oh, yeah, right. Some kind of kind of crazy, you know, woo, sort of moment going on there. You're counting on the supernatural right. to intervene at that moment through yeah. that sacramental. Yeah. And your confidence in faith, I would say, you know, don't pray like you're throwing mud at the wall hoping that it sticks. You got to pray with confidence that God is going to do something with your prayer. Yep. You know, what he does and how he does it is entirely up to him. His, his bird's eye view of the battlefield is different than ours. As a good friend of mine says, we've had him as a guest on, on Grace Force before, Tom Sullivan. He says, you know, in the spiritual battle, when people say, and I'm hoping anybody who struggled with the pro-life movement, you know, you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and you, you sometimes you're just wringing your hands because you don't see the progress that you hope and, you know, and pray that you'd like to see. Just remember, as uh, my friend Tom would say, is that we're the foot soldiers. We're out there on the front lines. We're in the foxholes. We're not privy to the intel that the command center has. 
we don't see the bird's eye view of what God is doing in those moments that we're just in front of an abortion mill or sprinkling holy water or in front of our Lord in adoration, you know, praying that that abortion mill across town closes down. And when we start to feel exasperated, remember, do not lose confidence in the supernatural. You know, Father, that statement you make, what was it? To, to be strong in the mighty power of God, I think is how you put it. And, and that's, that is a powerful, powerful thing to say and a, and a very important attitude and belief, not just attitude, but belief to have. Father, what's your comment on that, what I just said? Because I, a lot of that I said stems from what you have said. I've heard you say so passionately, mm -hmm. we have to believe in the supernatural. Well, I think about the title of your book, Steve, you know, this is when we begin to fight. But if we don't recognize that this is spiritual warfare, first and foremost, and I, I do agree. I think we do have to have good narratives and because we got to be convincing. And the, the, the uh, elites own everything and they own the, the, the message. And so we, we've got to counter it with truth and with good messaging. So there is that. But that can be, you know, that, that's actually a, a prophetic gift that we're given in baptism, you know, priest, prophet, and king. Uh, to be uh, eloquent and convincing and to be able to impact people by the message that we give them, uh, to draw them closer to God and, and, and God's will in their life. So there is that. But, uh, but yeah, we, we've got to believe in the power of prayer and, that again, that this is supernatural warfare. Listen, a lot of people, and I, I've read a lot on this too, uh, believe that the, what's going on in our culture right now since 1973 in America is uh, akin to, you know, sacrificing uh, babies at the altar of Baal. And uh, it's demonic, in other words. It's truly demonic. And, and, and what I, how we've allowed this to become normalized. We, you know, we had a podcast a few weeks ago, too, where we actually pointed to, um, to uh, uh, the Holocaust in, in World, World War II and, and, and Nazism and all that. And we just wondered, how did that get normalized? And yet it can. The propagandist, Joseph Gehrig, was known to say, if you tell people a square is a circle long enough, they'll start to believe a square is a circle. So if you start saying, you know, uh, my body, my choice, uh, women's health care, all those things, people just tend to nod their head at that. So... Um, we have to be prophetic in our voice, but we've also got to be believing in the faith, in the power of God. Jesus would always come up to someone when they said, you know, can you heal me? He'd say, do you believe I can do this? That, that's necessary. And I believe that this, this culture of death will expire when this uh, rise of faith comes up and we truly believe in the supernatural power of God to overcome this. I, I, you know, you think of that scene, they're praying over dead babies. That's kind of like me sprinkling holy water in the entrance to its Planned Parenthood. To people who don't, don't have faith, that's crazy. You're praying over dead babies. What, what are you doing? And yet they made the point that God does act on that. And Abby had her conversion in that moment. And the rest is history. I mean, the impact that she's had and now this movie's had, uh, is really changing minds and hearts. So, you know, it's, it's, here's the book again. Um, get this book. This is very, very powerful about all the ways that we can. And I believe, Steve, if you were to boil it down, maybe what I'm saying here is, priests, we pray. 
prophet, we speak with the uh, inspiration of God. And king is, we are models. We are models of the faith that we have. Kind of like that, that photographer saw um, this past um, St. Joseph's Day when we processed downtown. He looked on people of faith and he was changed in that moment. So we need to be priest, prophet, and king if we're going to win this war. This day we fight, right? Absolutely. And on your point about the blessed salts and the supernatural, I sometimes like to joke that a thousand years from now, they'll have archaeologists taking a look at Planned Parenthood and they'll think it was a great Catholic shrine because there's so many miraculous medals embedded in the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a story. I just got an email this morning from Downers Grove, uh, Illinois. And there was a woman, she woke up with a conviction that God was going to use her to save a baby that day. And so she and her husband started praying their rosary. And they're in the middle of the rosary and she felt called and convicted. She said, I'm sorry, honey, we got to go to Planned Parenthood and finish this rosary. And she was telling everyone there where God told me he's going to use us to save a baby today. They prayed for three and a half hours. Finally, the abortions are all done and they think, okay, well, maybe maybe we saved the baby that we just didn't know about, but we trust that the Lord was, was telling us true. And right as they were getting ready to leave, a woman came out. They didn't know there was anyone left, but she came out of the abortion facility and spoke with them and ended up choosing life because they listened to that small, still voice that is so easy to get crowded out by the noise of the world. That's amazing. God is so yeah. great. Yeah, what a great point. You know, for anybody out there who's watching this or listening to this right now, and they're thinking, nah, you know, maybe I'm called to do something. Maybe I'm not that small voice. You know, that's it's 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 Elijah in the cave. You know, it's the whisper. It's not the thunder all the time. Right. And, and I mean, God can speak through those things, but it He constantly is trying to get to us in the depths of the heart and the soul. And and you know, you mentioned distraction, Steve. Absolutely, we are so easily distracted. Oh, hold on a second. I I got to take a call. I got. Oh wait, wait. I got a text message. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. I got to, I just got to scroll for a while, you know, because I haven't scrolled very long, much late. You know, it, we're so distracted by our technology. We're so distracted by our bells and our whistles and the shiny objects and squirrel, you know, we're just, we're just the way we are. And we've got to, we've got to be disciplined enough to stop that and listen to the, the silent, quiet voice, not the silent, but that still quiet voice that's in the heart. I think that's a great point you bring up there. Yeah. It does take the eyes of faith because I, we get a lot of criticism from time to time from people saying, look, you know, why do you do vigil 24 hours a day when no one's around? Why do you do it, you know, on, on weekends when nobody's there on Sundays? And um, I always say, you know, our, we're out there to witness to the moms. Yes, we're out there to witness to the community. But if we have an audience, so to speak, our primary audience is the Lord responding to the sacrifices that we make. And uh, we had a, a beautiful case of this where we had a 40 Days for Life closing celebration here in Madison. And we, we all prayed in front of uh, Planned Parenthood on a Sunday night. It was cold. It was dark. The neighborhood was sleeping. No one's around. In the eyes of the world, it was pointless for us to be out there. But there was a passerby who stopped and talked with us. And then he prayed with us. His daughter was 20 weeks pregnant. Her, uh, his, his daughter was going to have an abortion because her baby had Down syndrome. And because he stayed with us and learned what we were up to that night, when it seemed like the odds were impossible, he went back to his daughter and talked her into choosing life. And that little boy turned eight years old this past Wednesday on St. Patrick's Day. So awesome. these things, you know, they, they look pointless in the eyes of the world. And sometimes it's, you know, bringing those walls in Jericho down. Why are you marching around this building? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? There's a lot of stuff that seems pointless, but when it's done out of obedience, uh, the Lord, he makes it pretty clear that there was a point to it after all. Very cool. Yeah, I actually tried to start a movement uh, just as COVID was hitting last year uh, called Rosary Walk. I think it's rosarywalk.com. That's how much I haven't been doing the movement uh, these days. But the point was is that 
we actually, and I was actually trying to dig it out real quick right now because so I could quote it directly, but there is a scripture passage that says, you know, that, that we, we can bless the soil in which we walk. You know, it's, and I like to call it, we reclaim surrendered ground. You know, so we get out there with our physical bodies and, and with our prayers, and it's like we're seeding the soil, this, this salt and empty earth. You know, but now it's, it, it's seeded with our prayers and, and then blessing comes out of that soil. It's, uh, you, you throw holy water toward Planned Parenthood and people say, hey, wait, you're blessing the demonic. No, we're trying to transform darkness into light. And we're trying to reclaim that surrendered ground and give it back to the Lord. And, and so, yeah, I, I just, I'm a big proponent of sacramentals. I just think that, you know, the rosary is a sacramental, but holy water, blessed salt, all those things, they truly do matter. But, and I believe God's shown that over and over, uh, burying the miraculous metals. That's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, all the ways in which people um, say yes to the ways in which God is revealed through the Blessed Mother, through the saints, uh, that this is the way I want you to do it. And it's usually ways that are ridiculous to the world, you know, like I, I popped in my head right now, the, the devotion of Eucharistic adoration, you're staring at a piece of bread. What are you doing? You know? It, so it seems ridiculous or God saying, Hey, you can have this whole garden, but just don't eat that apple tree. You don't have an apple from that apple tree. You know, it's, it's seemingly ridiculous things that he asks us to do, but that possibly his point, you know, twiddle these beads, do 50 Hail Marys. Um, you know, that's possibly his point. Are you willing to do what in the eyes of the world seems lunacy, or seems ridiculous, um, but you're doing it because I asked you to. And, and there's power in that. There's power in that when we, when we do it God's way, right? Absolutely. It's like, uh, obedience is such a powerful thing. And if he asks us to do something, we don't need to ask why. We need to, we need to just do it. And he'll, he'll show us why right away or later on exactly. down the line. Exactly. Like it's ever without fruit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I believe we're going to win this war. I, I do. I mean, I, I, I think we're seeing a nation being changed. You know, the, the, a lot of the words that's being thrown around right now is the science, the science. Well, an ultrasound shows you that's a baby in there, you know, the science. I mean, the, they, they claim science is their God, but when it comes to abortion, they discard science and, and, and go to some other whatever, you know, to try to justify it. And it's becoming harder and harder to justify abortion. Um, you know, maybe we didn't have effective ultrasounds back in 1973. Well, we do now. You know, so how, so I don't know. I'm, I'm really hopeful. I think a lot of people are, are becoming more horrified by the idea of killing an innocent baby. Don't you think, Steve? Yeah, and also what works in our favor is that evil always lacks the benefit of virtue. And that means prudence, it means patience. And this new Planned Parenthood director is a nut. She is, she's gone all in. You know, for a while, Planned Parenthood kind of had this veneer of respectability that they were professional and they were about women's health. And they when they hired a, a, an activist as a CEO, and she's, I, they just have their annual report just came out. They're talking about defunding the police and replacing it with more funding for Planned Parenthood as though the 650 million a year isn't enough. And uh, they're, they're into all the trans, speaking of science, they're in all the trans stuff now. I mean, yeah. what could be more anti scientific than that? And so, yeah. Yeah, so evil always overreaches. And I think in some cases, it's going to come back and bite the abortion industry because they, they've gotten so far out ahead of themselves that anyone with the slightest bit of common sense is going to look around and be like, I don't know, I, 
I could be pro-choice, but am I in favor of this? And the moment that you start to see the slightest bit of introspection, you can't think about abortion too long or too hard and remain pro-choice. You think about it and it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you're right. It it is something that it's impossible to deny what our ultrasounds have shown, what science proves. And they are so so bent, it seems, on the whole thing regarding, um, you know, uh, how I feel. You know, I feel like I'm this gender. I'm gender fluid, they might say. You know, today I'm this, tomorrow I'm that, the next day, I don't know, maybe I'll be a cat or a chair. I don't know. And I'm not trying to mock anybody, but the idea is ridiculous. And yet we have proof without a doubt, the moment of conception, you have life. And this has been... This has been absolutely rock solid forever, you know, practically. So anyway, uh, I, I just think that you're right about this. Uh, it, it, sooner or later, you would think common sense. But I do believe we're living in, as Sister Lucia said, the oldest of the three visionaries of Fatima. We're living in a, an age of diabolical disorientation. And hopefully this is one of those moments that God's going to use to really make things abundantly clear and hopefully, you know, more and more people will come to their senses. But, you know, the 40 Days for Life effort, I still think, you know, go back to this point. I just, the pictures I've seen of 40 Days for Lifers out there, dark, cold, freezing, or hot, middle of the afternoon, and just just there, hanging in, just not budging, showing people, like you said earlier, Steve, and I think it really sums it up well. This is not political. This is about something much, much bigger and much, much more more powerful and that is the supernatural quality of what's going on here in this battle yeah it's it's not for the faint of heart this is this is combat and if uh, i love football i love baseball i love all the sports but you know we can we can get uh you know tens of thousands of people i guess when it's not a pandemic year we can get tens of thousands of people to pack a stadium for hours at a time for men who are competing over a a trophy. Uh, this is this is something with much more at stake, much more on the line, lives and souls, and the future of our country, our heritage, all that our our forefathers suffered for. There's a lot on the line here, and there's a great drama to it. And I think we need to embrace that drama. These these things are much more exciting than sitting on the couch. Yeah, true. That's true. Well, listen, Steve. Uh, listen, all you pro life warriors out there. You, you got to get this book. This is this is very very compelling. It's it's very well done. And the back here says, "Can God use you?" Or God can use you to end abortion. It says, "God can use you to end abortion." And so please, you know, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it, Steve. Uh, please, everyone, just consider maybe an hour on out in front of Planned Parenthood, or just you know. Uh, Add different devotions or whatever God is calling you to do. You know, listen to God. What's he calling you to do to be a part of uh, turning this culture of death into a culture of life uh, once again? So please, 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 everyone, please get this amazing book. Uh, and Steve, thanks so much. This has been great. And um, I'm, I, uh, I love your family. Your family's awesome. And uh, John Paul is incredible. And so, but anyways, um, so uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your, your long years of work and, and all the ways that you, you're uh, just an amazing warrior for the pro-life cause. And may God uh, richly bless you. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat> Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Heavenly Father, we call out to you and we ask you for an end 
to abortion, an end to the culture of death. Let a culture of life emerge. We pray this with the powerful intercessory prayers of Our Lady, of St. Joseph in this year of St. Joseph, mighty St. Michael the Archangel, and all the saints. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.